welcome to episode 19 of the School Improvement Podcast by Mark Westerberg. Today's podcast is going to center around the master schedule in a building and how important it is and what it does and does not do. So here are some things your schedule does do. It sets your staffing. How many staff folks do you need? It also sets the scope and sequence of courses, how they're offered, how students take them. It also sets into place some priorities. For example, if you have a homeroom, if you have a bonus period, if you have a character strong period, it tells folks things you're trying to emphasize and things you're trying to fix. It also sets the load for students and adults. How many classes do I have? How many classes does a teacher teach? How many preps does a teacher have? A teacher in the secondary's day is surrounded by how many performances a day do I have? How many different performances called preps? And how many students do I have to manage? The fewer all of those are, the higher expectations you can have for a teacher and the better instructional day they should have. What does your schedule not do? Well, let's start with teachers. A schedule doesn't make a good teacher bad and a bad teacher good. That happens when they get up in the morning. Everything we know about education is that relationship and that ability to connect with kids in front of the room supersedes any time schedule. Your schedule also doesn't make more students fail or less students fail. The vast majority of failures are based on a student choosing not to do the work. Most secondary teachers, if a student is trying and working at what they believe to be the best of their ability, they get the gift D minus. Those who don't get the gift D minus generally just earned it or didn't show up at school enough to get that credit. So in my 40 years of education, I have probably worked in or worked with a school who does one of the many, many schedules that are out there. Everything from block periods of 90 minutes to six, seven, eight period days, five period trimesters, six period trimesters, blocks with skinnies, all the different schedules that are possible. I've worked with all of them. Every schedule has pluses and minuses, and you have to look at your district and what you want to fix, how many staff are you able to employ, and are there any unique things you want to put into your schedule, such as things like character strong or bonus periods. The schedule is really a combination of a lot of things. Curriculum rollout, things you want to emphasize, staffing, and the ability to put together a good instructional day. Kids' instructional day gets better when they have fewer periods, fewer teachers to interact with, and less homework based on not having as many core classes every day. The most common instructional day is a seven-period day. The seven-period day is a throwback to the Henry Ford production era where we manufacture these credits twice a year 
in two 90-minute semesters in seven different equal periods, and those periods are tough for kids. The kids who really struggle, as you've heard me say before, are not special ed kids because they'd have resource periods and additional help. It's the kids not lucky enough to be special ed. And them having seven periods is way too many. A student with seven periods has a burden of four core classes and three electives, unless you waste an hour of their day by giving them a study hall. The real issue in seven period day is if a student went to Harvard, they wouldn't take seven classes. Why would we think teenagers are able to handle that? For staff, it's an instructional issue. If your teachers teach six out of seven, that's an awful tough instructional load. Six classes a day, multiple preps, and a shorter prep period. If they teach five of the seven and do a supervision or something on that other period, that's a better instructional day for them, but it also costs the district more money because you have to hire more staff and it gets really problematic in areas, for example, in science, where you have a life science teacher and a physical science teacher, and they can't do the other one. Science is one of those areas where there's not a generic endorsement in most states, for example, a social studies teacher. So seven period day, lots of periods, but it is by far the most common. It's been used for a long time. It's simple to figure out, simple to put together, and simple for everybody to follow. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, we started doing block schedules where folks were doing four periods a day that were 90 minutes long. Some did it every other day and had a block eight. Some used a four by four schedule. Those are very uncommon right now because to be very honest with you, they take too much time for staffing. Staffing is really problematic when they only teach three of the four periods. They're only in front of kids 75% of the day. The other problem that was quite obvious is that 90 minutes is a really long instructional time. And let's be honest, unless you're Robin Williams, it's pretty hard to engage kids for 90 minutes in math. The other problem we found that in a 4 by 4 schedule, for example, when they failed algebra in the first semester, there weren't many things for them to do the second semester. And so the block schedules have really gone by the wayside. Very few people are moving to those now. So one of the things that happened in block scheduling was they found out they couldn't make things work. For example, like band. Band was taking up 25% of a kid's high school career. So they created skinnies where they slid a block in half and it's 45 minutes on each side. The problem was then trying to match up what do you do with the kids who aren't band students? How do you go through the rotation? How does it work with teacher preps and teacher loads? Skinnies was a really good idea conceptually but it is a very hard thing in practice to make work and to make practical. When you're evaluating what schedule to use, it's really important to do some very simple math. And that math would be if your teachers teach five of six classes, you divide 
five by six and you figure out the percentage of time they're in front of kids. If they're doing six out of seven, do the same math. If they're doing five out of seven, then your percentage is going down, so you need more staff. If your teachers are in a four by four schedule and they're only teaching three of the four periods, the math's pretty simple. They're only in front of kids 75% of the time because the problem in a schedule is, is that you have to seat everybody every period and every teacher is not available. The more prep periods or non-instructional periods they have, the more staff you need to make that happen. Then you get into overloads, you get into teachers teaching skinnies and all kinds of differing things that really erode the original idea of the schedule. As I'm sure you're aware, I'm kind of dubbed the trimester guy. The vast majority of calls I get on trimester scheduling come from folks who are in block schedules and realize it doesn't work, they need a better path, but they don't want to give up on the block of time. And so the trimester is a nice balance between the 50 to 55 minute seven period day and the 90 minute block schedule. 75 minutes is about the right amount of time for a class. I also get calls from people with seven period days who have to cut staff and have to cut money. And so they look at a trimester as let's go to five periods from eight to 2.30 and then pay the teachers all to prep either before school or after school. So they use their staff 100% efficiently. And so it is a good schedule for that because it does reduce the number of classes that a teacher teaches and the number of kids they have to manage. So it really does make wise sense if you're in those kind of situations that you look for something like a trimester. But in fairness to the trimester schedule, it is far more effective way to teach secondary kids. It builds in creativity, flexibility. It creates natural transitions during the school year. It allows a teacher to have four classes a day with fewer preps and manage a smaller group of students. And for the kids, they have five classes a day instead of six and seven. They usually have three cores and two electives, so their homework load is smaller. It's just a better way to teach. Even if you do a six-period trimester, the biggest issue in a six-period trimester is figuring out how many classes go three periods and how many go two terms. A class that would go all three terms should be a tested class. For example, if 10th grade English is tested in your state, 10th grade English ought to go three blocks all year long. However, if it's a U.S. history class, it should go two of the three. Tested classes or college level classes should go extended blocks. That's the biggest issue with the six period trimester is you give up some content time and you also really are going to struggle with what is two terms and what is three terms. Generally speaking, middle schools use a six period trimester, not secondary. The secondary ones make a lot of classes go three periods and kind of defeat the purpose of being in the trimester in the first place. 
However, it is a more conducive schedule than a seven-period day, and there are benefits from being in that. In regards to middle school scheduling, I'm going to do a whole separate podcast on middle school scheduling because it's very different than secondary schedule. And so many buildings are combined middle school, high schools. And some of them are 712, 512, 612. So there's a lot of nuances with middle school that I want to make sure I give it its due and give it its own separate podcast. Probably one of the major issues with schedules and what one to use is that they become very prominent in negotiations, board discussions, parent discussions, where it doesn't become about academics and potential. It's more about what have we always done. It's really hard to break the paradigm of some folks to not have math, English, science, and social studies every single day. Why would we have some periods go longer, some go shorter? Any nuances you put in your schedule that are different, change is hard, but continuing to keep doing what you're doing is always an easy solution. doesn't generally fix anything, but it's always an easy solution when you talk about problems is to try and figure another way to do it besides the schedule. The schedule is the most obvious way to address academic issues you can choose. I hope this session gave you some insight on schedules and how to use them, how to navigate school boards and teachers' negotiations and dealing with parents and schedule. The schedule is a very important part of what you do and should take a lot of thought into how you use your time. The most important thing for school administrators to know is you manage the time. When people get locked into a schedule, they try to lock everything into the schedule and everything just doesn't fit that way. You should adjust your calendar, your day, based on the time you have available. For example, when you have a two-hour delay or an assembly, all your classes ought to meet for the same amount of time. You should own the clock. The clock should not own you. I hope this session has helped you to think about schedules maybe a little differently and look for opportunities. If you look at my trimester website, you'll see a lot of different schedules. There's a lot of different ways to get at what you need to do. So thanks for listening, and I hope you share this with others. And as I said, the next one coming up, I'll probably talk about middle school schedules in particular and tell you what the difference between middle school and junior high is. Thanks for listening.